Jen Cooper, the Keeper, here ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 244. And with that number, we give a shout out to Soon Wen, who scored the 244th Women's World Cup goal in China's group stage game against Ghana in 1999. Soon Wen had a hat trick in that game and finished the tournament with seven goals overall, tying Brazil's CC for the Golden Boot, and she also earned Golden Ball honors. So, two chats today. First, with Meg Linehan of The Athletic, who's now covering women's soccer for that site slash app. Um, Meg, formerly with NWSL Media in New York, and before that with Vice Sports, Excel, and a lot of other women's soccer work. She's now going to be covering women's soccer, obviously, for The Athletic, but stories beyond game recaps, looking at primarily U.S. Women's National Team and NWSL. So Meg and I talked about the U.S. Women's National Team game against South Africa this last weekend, the team's ongoing lawsuit against U.S. soccer, and also Otta Hegeberg's continued refusal to play with NWSL. And then I had a chat with Jacqueline Mahoney with FBREF.com, which is also part of SportsReference.com. FBREF.com just unveiled its complete Women's World Cup database, including match reports and player historical data. And they are also working on adding NWSL stats and eventually WPS and WSA stats. The site is free and easy to use. You can just check out FB, like football, football fbref.com so fbref.com all right jen cooper the keeper here with meg linehan now with the athletic focusing on women's soccer coverage for u.s women's national team and nwsl meg it's so great to see you back in the public side of covering women's soccer. You're no longer cooped up in that little New York office doing NWSL things. You get to travel the world, right? I do. I do get to travel <laughs> the world. As a few people commented, you're, you're back on the, uh, the dark side. So it's been pretty <laughs> funny to flip back over and uh, be back with everyone else just on the outside looking in. Yeah, I, th- I think you can call it the dark side, which, whichever side you're on whether you're yes. you know on on team league side or media <laughs> covering team league side there's there's arguments for the dark side both ways i like you saying it's outside looking in that's probably probably a more accurate description yeah. um so tell me what uh what the plan is for the athletic hiring you and what you're hoping to offer in terms of coverage Right. So I've said this before on Twitter, but I think my position really does not exist anywhere else in the U.S., at least in terms of being a full-time staff writer who covers NWSL, U.S. national team, women's soccer in general, and actually being able to go in-depth on the sport. Um, I have a more national perspective. I'm definitely trying to get to every NWSL market uh, as I can. But Mm -hmm. right at the moment, obviously, we're – the big focus is U.S. national team and the send-off series. I'm actually heading to France for pretty much the entire tournament, following the U.S. national team around. I'll be writing about the other teams. Um, it's really, you know, they've given me the power to tell them what stories I should be writing um, and to, to really just follow what's happening in the world of NWSL and, and the U.S. national team and, and figure out 
you know, what's not being covered, what needs more coverage. Um, one of my favorite stories I've written so far was actually talking to the Chicago Red Stars front office for two hours the day after their jersey launched and just telling their graphic designer, tell me how you got here, um, you know, and then writing 2,000 words about it. So it, it's definitely a chance to actually dig into some stories that I think aren't getting the levels of coverage we as a, a general group would like to see. And the fact that The Athletic actually made the investment to bring me on board, um, I think it's definitely a good step in the right direction and will hopefully force some other media companies to come along for the ride. Well, and a story like covering the, the Chicago jersey and how it came about is is totally the kind of story that, that I love and that we don't, we just don't get very often. We, we get the game mm-hmm. recaps, we get the something dramatic has happened or something legal <laughs> yeah. or, or, or something legal has happened or someone's right. been fired, right. but, but yeah. we don't, hey, or, or we get the feel good story. Can you believe it? Yeah. Right. Right. Or we get the feel good story. So I love a yeah. story like that um, that really shines a light on all these interior processes that the public doesn't normally get to see. And right. when I when I first saw that Chicago jersey, I was like, yes, that's what a jersey needs to be for a team. Something that is so specific to mm-hmm. to the city that you look at it and say only Chicago could wear that jersey. Right. Right. And I I think that's really the joy of my job, too, is, you know, obviously I'm not out here trying to file on deadline, you know, after the the USA South Africa game. My my piece only went up today, but there is still a chance to dig into games like that's That's not going anywhere. That's still a fundamental part of the job. But that is not the primary part of my job. I'm obviously still watching the games. I'm on Twitter still every weekend uh, watching NWSL games. Like I'm still involved in that part of it, but that doesn't necessarily always translate to here's an article on, you know, like let's dig into the specific ABCs of how Orlando pride had a bad weekend this weekend. So, Yeah. And that's, that's something that, you know, women's soccer coverage still needs a lot of too, is not that, 30 minutes after the game ended, a story is up, but the, mm-hmm. the think the think piece. And it's something that I, I am always very aware of what's out there and what's not out there because the broadcast prep that I do for the people that work the streams for NWSL, I'm constantly trying to find stories on players for them and, and obviously be on the big name stories. It's easy to find a story on virtually any U.S. national team or, or the top right. two internationals on on a team but i want the trend of a team i want stories Mm -hmm. on on the other players i want some coaching background um you know some something that takes it to the next level and a game recap is 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 never going to do that and the feel good feature is only occasionally going to do that but yeah the actual analysis it kind of reminds me uh this past weekend, I watched uh, UFC for the first time, <laughs> and <laughs> oh, and it was so cool for me to be watching this fighting event. That the women's matchup was the marquee event. The guys at the bar where I was sitting were all talking about the matchup, but in a very analytical, practical sports fan stat way. It was so mm-hmm. wonderful where they're like, well, this year's the champion, but she's had this many knockouts, but this, 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 this. And it's like, yes, that's, 
that's what it should be. It's not, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that she's playing sports? It's like, no, here's this competition between two slightly different competitors. You know, they don't fight the same way. Let's see what happens. And so that was, that, that, that was kind of a neat moment, but anyway, back to Mm -hmm. soccer. (laughs) Let's talk about, (laughs) let's talk about the U S versus South Africa this past Sunday. Um, I knew, I mean, we knew from the last time they played South Africa and also from how South Africa tends to play that it would be a fairly defensive match uh, on South Africa's side. Um, mm-hmm. I, w- I wasn't expecting a high-scoring game. It seemed like JP and Ellie were on the broadcast. Um, and, you know, granted, you didn't get those last two goals till pretty late. But, but what were your thoughts right. on the match? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... For all the the time that I've spent talking to players recently, they want, especially Megan Rapinoe, I think Megan Rapinoe definitely drove this point home. They want to to dictate a game. And I still don't know if we've seen them do that outside of that Belgium match. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a, a chance for them to say like, hey, look what we can do against a team that's going to come out against us in this low block bunker that you know, obviously has basically haunted Jill Ellis since 2016 and say, (laughs) okay, we know exactly what you're going to do against us. We're just not, it's not going to affect us, right? Like we're going to play our game the way that we want to play. And then as, as the clock kind of went on and they hadn't scored in the first 10, they hadn't scored in the first 20 and JP and Allie are like, well, South Africa is going to be happy. This is all they really wanted was to hold them off for 20, 30 minutes. Like, that's when you're starting to go, okay, so we're still obviously not there yet. Um, and, and that's why we're today is, like, that's what we need to see in New Zealand now is they've got to set the, the tempo and the pace of the game early, and they actually have to, like, say this is, this is our game and this is how we're playing it, and we're never going to let you adjust into this game because we still haven't seen it against a World Cup caliber team. Yeah, you know, all the, the... – higher level competition opponents were early in the, in the year, obviously France right. and Spain. Uh, yeah. France and Spain in January and then mm-hmm. Japan, Brazil. Really, really. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, New Zealand and Mexico aren't the best opponents to go into looking for that, but at the same time, it's a good, I would think confidence building groove building, right less risk of injury kind of warm up match. I mean, obviously 2015 Mexico was the next to last opponent 2011. It was the last opponent. It's, it, mm-hmm. it you know, it's, it's kind of what they're, what they're used to. What did you think about? Yeah, oh, go ahead. I just definitely think that, you know, for New Zealand and they definitely say, keep saying like, we're not going to overlook these opponents, but also in theory, this is when Jill Ellis has said like, I'm still trying to get coverage looks like I had assumed thinking rationally, okay, Jill Ellis is going to walk into these last three games and just let her starting 11 go three times Mm -hmm. and get them three reps together. And then, you know, they held Rapino out of half, I think just out of cautionary, you know, which I would prefer. And then Lindsay Rand didn't play at all because of that minor hip thing, even though she trained the day before. So we still have yet to actually say like, okay, here is our starting 11. Let's get them that time. So I am kind of curious to see, okay, was South Africa a chance? Because out of these three teams, sort of the least well-known to actually say like, okay, 
we're going to look at Julie Earth as a center back. We're going to put Crystal Dunn in as the number 10. Like this was definitely still experimentation time for Ellis, which I find interesting. And at the same time, I'm still frustrated that you're leaving someone like Jessica McDonald on the bench where, you know, okay, you don't have all your starters healthy. What's it going to hurt to give her 10 or 15? Right. We, we don't know what she can do. We know what Carly Lloyd can do. And yes, Mm -hmm. that, that third, that third goal was, was an awesome goal. Uh, what nutmegging a defender and the keeper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, we, but we, as I called it. Yeah. We, we know what, what, what she can do. We don't right. know everything that I would think any opportunity you have to put her out in that situation, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to do that now, especially when you still have six subs? I mean, did she even get minutes and she believes? I think maybe one game she got like 89th minute, but it was just so frustrating. It's like, how are you going right. to decide who your 23 is when your bubble players aren't even seeing time? Right. Although, I mean, and this has always been the, the problem of trying to watch and analyze the U.S. national team from the outside is, is that whatever happens in their trainings, I think dictates so much of what Jill Ellis decides, because I do think that the level of their trainings is higher than a game of USA versus South Africa, right? Like if you put two teams together out of the U S national team, I do think it's going to be higher. So Jess McDonald might be doing great things in training. We have no visibility to it. So we're out here frustrated because we're saying, okay, like why wouldn't you put, Jess McDonald didn't get her actual game minutes because there is nothing like actual game minutes. But in the long run, is it better if she's scoring like crazy stunners in training on Alyssa Mayer or in a game against South Africa? I don't know if we actually have that answer because we, we don't know what the actual information is. And that, that's a really good point is because we don't see the bulk of training. And I mean, when, when there is training that's open to media, it's, it's only a small slice of it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and of course the whole reason you have 23 players is that you, so you can play 11 on 11 and then have that, that extra keeper. So yeah, I would guess in many cases, USA versus USA is probably more competitive, uh, you know, than some of the the opponents that that they face, and that's why, like, as as much as you end up feeling somewhat knowledgeable after covering the team for for a number of years, mm-hmm. at the same time, you're like, well, I'm basing all of these opinions, oh, off absolutely, on this twenty percent of information, but there's this eighty yeah. percent that we'll never have access to, right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you can only you can only get so much. And, you know, I do think Ellis has kind of mastered the the partially helpful answer at press conferences without actually (laughs) digging into anything that actually might point which way she's thinking. So, um, yeah, it it is like it is kind of funny. And I think that's the case with with most sports. Right. Like you don't see a large chunk of training. Um, right. You know, NWSL can be different because the the access points are are different. Like you can actually usually sit through a full NWSL training session depending on right. the team and depending on if it's postseason or not. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely the U.S. national team is just such a different beast in terms of the actual knowledge we have 
about the decision-making process. Right. And so my segue here is going from, we've got the U.S. Women's National Team in the middle of their send-off series. They play New Zealand Thursday night, then in about 10 days after that, play Mexico before they head over to France and get ready for the Women's World Cup. At the same time, they have this lawsuit going on. So so what's the easy digestible explanation that you can you can offer of wh- where where things are with the lawsuit right now? All right. So a very high level version of this is they they filed the lawsuit as like a class action. Um the stage that we're at right now is US soccer has officially responded. Um and that response was basically just them writing, like, we deny the allegations in section, et cetera, uh, for, I think, 10 pages or so. Um, and then the, the fun part about that was then the U.S. Uh, counsel replying to their response and saying, like, basically, we'll see you in court after the World Cup. So we're still very much in the early stages of this lawsuit. I don't think either party is obviously eager to touch it until after July 7th. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the lawsuit has basically said like, okay, we're concerned about pay. We're concerned about conditions still. The CBA addressed some of it, but ultimately the fundamental issue here is that we are treated completely differently than the men's national team, and we do not find that acceptable. Whereas the U.S. Soccer Federation is arguing, well, you are a separate thing, and thus you can't claim to be an equal part of U.S. soccer, despite the whole concept of one nation, one team. <laughs> and there are so many different nuances to this, and I, I'm kind of glad that they've moved away from the simple equal play, equal pay phrase, because I think that does a disservice right. to to yeah. all, all, all the details, um, because men's qualifying is, is, is different. The men's leagues, obviously, they the men can get right. revenue from their, their leagues, yeah, some things by nature are going to be different, but that doesn't mean it has to be a less than kind of proposition. Right. Um, you know, I brought right. this up. I brought this up before. You look at the the ticket prices for she believes compared to the men's two March friendlies. A she believes double header with four teams are basically in the top ten in the world was eighty bucks uh, equivalent ticket for USA versus Chile here in Houston. Um, you know, no name teams on both sides was 150 for the same seat for one game, you know, on a weeknight as opposed to weekend. It's like one of those tickets is way too expensive. (laughs) And one of those tickets is is a little too cheap. You know, um, I think think they have a point in arguing their due value. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, U.S. soccer has plenty of issues in how they, because they, they have basically leaned into this whole concept, at least on the men's side of, we only need a certain number of people to attend this game if we charge them at a certain price. Like right. they're not going after sellouts anymore. They're saying we just need this minimum number to buy at this absurd amount. And then we, we make a profit. Whereas I don't know if they have any strategy for how they price the women's tickets in general. I did like, I happened to be looking at the St. Louis ticket uh page today because I'm heading to that game and I wanted to see what time gates open 
And I finally, for the first time, I don't know how I'd never looked at this number, but I finally looked at how much that ultimate fan experience ticket costs. Oh my gosh. It is $700. And I just went, okay. (laughs) Interesting. So like, I think there's like, even setting aside the lawsuit for a second, there's such an interesting conversation to be had about how U.S. soccer has approached ticket sales. Yeah, in the wider market of sports, like I think that's a fascinating thing that they're doing because it's such a different. Even the pricing for the U.S. national team games, it's kind of different than how most of like the NWSL clubs approach it. Right. And well, of course, of course it's the, a one-off. It's a one-off generally exactly. for U.S. soccer, yeah. and it's yeah. a week-in, week-out yeah. for the leagues. But right, um, I, I'm glad you brought up the VIP package because that reminds me, U.S. soccer has done a boys fantasy camp, a girls fantasy camp, a men's fantasy camp, but they have never done a women's fantasy yeah. camp. And you and I both know um, how many years we've spent <laughs> following women's soccer <laughs> and how much money we've spent on jerseys and merch and travel and tickets right. long before anybody was offering um, to pay for that kind of stuff. And when I was still at my store, I mean, the number of people wanting to buy stuff and no, they weren't buying it in youth medium. They were buying it in adult medium, adult, large, adult, extra large. Um, I just, I, I think there's a almost deliberate blindness to, to, to the approach of, you know, Oh, they wouldn't be interested in that. It's like, are you kidding? Yeah. I know ton, I know yeah. tons of NWSL fans that if you offered a, a two day camp, with some of these players that it included a ticket. Yeah. They take off work and fly across the country. I, I even saw that for CONCACAF qualifying last year in, in Dallas, the number of people that flew in at the very least for that weekend game. And, and I'd mentioned to, to someone in marketing from U.S. soccer, I said, Hey, I never got like the fan email for these games. And you know, I'm in Houston. I thought that would be, you know, these games were in Dallas. And, and and he's like, yeah, but you're in Houston. I was like, that's an easy drive up, especially for a weekend <laughs> game. You know, I, I, I said, yeah. Texian Army with, with Houston Dynamo organized a bus trip. Like, and, and there were people that I knew flew in from Minnesota, flew in from California. You had the hall, the new soccer hall of fame opening a few days later. Mm-hmm. So they're, let it, they're letting people do sneak preview tours. It's like, what? <laughs> Like, don't, don't your own metrics show you the zip codes of people buying tickets so you can see how far they've come? Right. I mean, obviously. Go ahead. I think what we're both getting to is that, you know, when I start to see comments on, so like on my story about the lawsuit, you know, you start to dig into the, the comment section and there are always, people in here saying, well, like, well, what about the revenue? Like this post doesn't make any sense without numbers. And the the question that I always want to reply with is what sense does it even make to dig into these numbers when they're not set up to succeed? They are not given every chance. And I I think that there are failures on both sides on the men's and women's to promote the game to a hundred percent. But like, but absolutely the women are not getting the infrastructure for marketing in the same way that the men are. And also, uh, I mean, even looking at NWSL to MLS sides, like we've started to see the NWSL supporters groups travel in a meaningful way. Obviously Portland is ahead of the curve on this front, but 
you know, we're starting to see the women's game catch up on this side of if the opportunity exists, people are going to take it and people are going to spend money. But until you actually put dollars into encouraging people to take those extra steps. Yeah. If you look at, at ticket gates or what, like, it's just, why bother right at the moment? Right. But bottom line, if it's a startup business and as in any startup business, you don't just sit and wait for customers to show up. You aggressively promote via whatever means you right. can. Um, obviously you don't need to overspend in advertising, but you have to do advertising. You have to do grassroots promotion. There's so many natural synergies for, for lack of a better word, kind of connections you can make between the youth leagues and the adult leagues and college soccer mm-hmm. and, and, you know, United soccer coaches and, and all that stuff. And they're, it's like, they're just not taking advantage. You know, we, that the game against Belgium in April on ESPN, that was the big reunion weekend for the 99ers, you know, so much fanfare with that. And it was wonderful, but there wasn't a single mention of NWSL. And obviously that's not ESPN's burden. They don't have the rights for that. They don't have to promote that, but us soccer can make that happen with their broadcast partner. And they choose not to. Right. So, yeah. And someone who has been inside of that system, like it takes like those things don't happen naturally, right? It takes right. someone inside owning that and ensuring right. that it happens. And obviously that takes time. But the question right. is, how do you, how do you put those people into the system that are going to take that extra step? Or how do you actually just make a process to ensure that you're hitting every single one of those things? And that's, that's even where we're still seeing inequality between the women's and national, the men's national team. Yeah. And that's why, you know, anytime I see, a fan you know, on Twitter get, get angry when they mention men's game during a women's game. It's like, no, that's the, that's the networks of broadcasting itself, advertising their own stuff. Right. During the men's right. game before the women's game, they were advertising the women's yeah. game, but, but all the rest of the yeah. advertisements, sponsorships or Julie Foudy's podcast, whatever, all of that is, is planned. But unless, like you say, you have someone inside who's the, you know, the active campaigner for that kind of stuff that you have from someone from U.S. soccer saying, hey, we need to make sure NWSL is mentioned, you know, at least a few times as well. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. hey, hey, we control the, the signboards. Some of the signboards should say NWSLsoccer.com, right. Right. you know. Um, but let's move from, from U.S. soccer to, to wrap it up with um, – kind of the other part of the, the spectrum in the article that, that you had out this week about the, the differences in, in protesting. So we have U.S. soccer's lawsuit and then Ada Hegeberg choosing basically for the last year and a half to not participate with the Norway women's national team, which means she won't be going to the World Cup. She won the first mm-hmm. ever women's Ballon d'Or in, in, in December. And I'm not even going to bring up the other angle of, of, of that, um, but but it's 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 such huge news, and I, I was I was kind of amused by one tweet I saw saying, "Hey, can we talk about who's actually on the Norway national team?" But at the right. same time, I, at the same time, I feel like this is huge, and, and it needs to be treated that way because what if Messi chose not to play with Argentina? What if Cristiano Ronaldo chose not to play with Portugal? That is this level. And, and, and right. I was I was pleased to see 
USA Today, etc., mentioning it. A little frustrated that they said she was omitted from right. the Norway oh, yeah. roster. <laughs> The number of stories that as all of these rosters are dropping and Norway's dropped and everyone was like, oh, Hegeberg isn't on this roster. And I'm like, she never was going to be. Yeah, what what made you think she was going to be? (laughs) Continue with your coverage of Norway women's soccer, I guess. But it it is kind of funny because that's the hook, right, for a lot of these places to cover Norway because they know, okay, like in, in the math, of mainstream soccer coverage they're like oh all right so arguably best player in the world uh uh she's refused to play for her national team wow she's not going to be at the world cup i can't believe they admitted it like i get exactly how it happened but the coverage is still not okay she was never going to make this team and it's still a big deal but she was never going to make this team So So, it was kind of funny to see this conversation come up. And when when I was talking to my editors about this piece, I was like, I don't really have much that is new to say about her because this has been a year and a half now. But I do think it's always interesting to put these things in context with each other because I do think that gives us new information of, you know, we've got her on this one side saying, like, I'm not going to play, even though Norway has done work to improve, like, you know, they had their whole equal pay me- uh, measure that got great press, um, but does not meet her standards. But she's just kind of on this own little island. But because she has this this record as a player and arguably could be the, one of the biggest players in the world, it, it's a story. Right, right. And it, it, it is a great way to call attention to an issue, but what's frustrating for anyone who reads these kind of articles is you click on it thinking you're going to get something new and you don't right. really get, any, get anything new. And, and I feel like, you know, if you're a USA Today or a Yahoo Sports or, you know, one of the ones that is, is, is not a fan written site, you have a responsibility to do a little bit of research. It's not that hard to, to find a Norwegian site and use Google Translate, <laughs> you know, and right. it's, like, it's like, it's like, there's got it. You should be yeah. able to add a quote from her or, or, or something, give it, give it, give it some context. So uh, context is always super crucial. And one of the things that I think I've always been interested in as a writer, and I think it's especially hard because I do think that there are cultural differences. So obviously one of the other big complications is U S national team. We've got this lawsuit PDF that we can actually go item by item and say, okay, this lines up, this lines up with her. And, and I pointed to this in the article, like, she had a direct conversation with her federation and then has given a couple interviews and then just never really talked about it again. So we're all kind of struggling to say, okay, this is what she means by her, her one person protest, but we don't have this exact guide to what she wants. We can interpret it, but there's no, like, this is what I want out of my federation uh, you know, here's my list of demands essentially, and this is what it's going to take to get me back for Norway. It's just sort of this he said, she said, of I've talked to my federation. The coach had the quote of like, well, we tried to talk to her. There was no getting sense into that one, and we're going to focus on players that actually want to be here. And that's all we have to go on. So it, it's a much more frustrating thing to try to talk about just because there's so little detail. But I think that there is still the context of, okay, you've got arguably a top three player in the world refusing to play for her federation. How does that compare to what is happening around the world as 
teams trying to fight against their own federations and leagues try to figure out, you know, how to pay their players better. Like there's a bigger landscape and she is definitely a part of it. And that's where I think we're only finally starting to be like, okay, where does she actually fit into this bigger picture? And I'm glad we can make at least the equivalence of it's a U.S. national team and Aga Hegerberg is talking about Norwegian national team issues. We're not talking about professional leagues, which is a whole separate mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of argument. This is strictly national team related. Um, and of course, in this country, we've got, what is it, the Ted Stevens Act? Yeah. Um, and, and I know Hope Solo tried to sue about that, where it's, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, these are, you know, nonprofits that are, you know, using money for sport and you're supposed to, you know, do things equally. It's a whole separate issue if you get into professional leagues. And I think sometimes um, this discussion gets drawn into the, well, men's leagues make more. That's why they're paid more. This is not right. about the leagues. This is strictly represent well when you're representing your your national team and mm-hmm. I, and I think it's interesting too for Hegeberg to make the stand she's making because Norway is generally not a big fish you know that it's right. it's, it's been a good almost 20 years since their their last you know major victory and mm-hmm. you know she knows that she's taking a risk but not like i i don't see a u.s national teamer may taking necessarily the same stand because of she would lose more financially right right yeah. and i mean obviously Hegerberg plays for leon and like right. her club career is incredible right right like she right. actually does have a pretty decent financial base and I'm, I'm sure you know sponsorships and everything along with that but um yeah, it, it definitely is interesting. And also, I mean, the U.S. national team has also acted as a unit in a way that Hegerberg has not ever seemed to engage her teammates. Um, it does really seem to be a personal thing, whereas U.S. national team has has gone through collective bargaining and there was the potential of a work stoppage and they decided against it because they didn't want to impact NWSL. So, or or down the line, um, the right. U.S.'s opportunities to play in FIFA tournaments because right. if U.S. soccer doesn't, you know, doesn't send a team, they're jeopardizing the future of every team, men's, women's, right. youth, senior, at any World Cup or Olympics. And obviously the women are too smart to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just it's a very different thing if you're talking about an entire team taking an action, whereas one player... I think she does have more freedom to go for a stronger position simply because Mm -hmm. she has decided to take the consequences that apply to her personally. And she seems to be perfectly comfortable with that. She obviously, she just won a major award. Like she has not suffered quote unquote in the way that if one single U S national team player did this, like let's say Alex Morgan did this, there's a lot further to fall in terms of how it would impact her. Um, Gotcha. But I do find it interesting just because with Heidelberg especially, it is it's just very tough, I think, for us to kind of wrap our heads around it because, again, like we don't know a lot about what her actual demands were. We don't really know what it would take for her to come back. But also, I am kind of curious about why it's only her. 
and apparently, and apparently her sister, right? Right, right. Um, but it, it is kind of this little, I had someone call it, I think, a lone wolf situation in the comment today. And it is, it's just very interesting that you get this one person just saying, like, you do not line up with my values if I am being asked to represent my country for whatever you are offering, I'm not going to do it. And it seems pretty clear that it's not some issue similar to the, I had this horrible experience bordering on criminal. It's just, right. I don't, we don't see eye to eye. Right. Yeah. I mean, it really, from everything that I read as I was researching the thing is, is she's frustrated about you know, it's this sort of concept of Norway's coming to her and saying, like, look at all these things that we're doing for women's soccer. And she's kind of answering back, well, like, look at all the things that you're doing for men's soccer. You're not doing them for us. You're undermining the development of the sport in this country, and you want me to be the face of it. And I don't want to be the face of you undermining yeah. <laughs> women's soccer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, it, it's un- like, if, if Alice Morgan were, were at, like, you know, you've got that sort of level of she is the Alex Morgan of Norway, right? And she's right. going to be the face of this sport. And then fundamentally, you have the Federation behind you saying like, oh, well, you know, like we're doing stuff, but it's not to the level that is ever going to put Norway back in the conversation of, you know, where the U.S. is, where England is, where Australia is. Like they're kind of always sitting outside of that top five ranking. And wh- why would you want to buy into that? Yeah, especially if you have the opportunity of, of playing with Leon and being in Champions League every year and it's like, hey, I'm just going to focus on this. Yeah. yeah, and and it's worth mentioning that Norway was a powerhouse in that first decade of the Women's World Cup and also Olympic soccer because they were um, a, an early adopter of women's soccer and had women's leagues, even though they weren't you know, professional. But you had a large number of women in the country that only has a population of what, 4 million um, playing, playing on a week to week basis, getting identified, practicing as a national team. So that's why in 91, they made it to the final in 95, they won 96 semifinals, uh, you know, 99 made it to the third place match 2000, beat the U.S. in in extra time on a golden goal in, in the Olympic final. Um, so that's one of the reasons they succeeded early. But once everybody else stops getting engaged, your advantage right. as an early, early adopter right. is, isn't going to pay off. And so, right. yeah, I'm guessing she's looking for that. that that's great what we did. What are we going to do next? Don't we want to be better than, hey, at least we always qual- qualify for the World Cup? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of almost like the same boat as the U.S. men's national team here. Like, okay, like you keep, you get to a certain level and then you're always, that's it. Like, can't we strive for something higher? And if you're not going to put money into it, then, yeah. Then what's the point? And this this is me reading into the situation. Again, like, we, we don't have anything, but based on everything that she said, like, that is my fundamental reading of what she's saying is that if you're not going to put respect for this game into the game itself, then I'm out. Well, maybe someone can, can score an exclusive with her during France. Maybe you can, uh, you know, hop up North to, to Norway and sit down with Ada, you know, 
some, yeah. some, you know, whatever the Norwegian drink is and, and get the scoop. <laughs> I would absolutely, absolutely love it. I was kind of hoping, you know, after the whole Bon Dior thing, like, obviously she made a lot of press for other reasons that neither of us want to talk about, but, um, you know, that was probably the best time for her to actually expand on, on her platform for what she right. out of Norway and, you know, she did that one interview with CNN that I leaned on a lot. Um, but again, not, not really specific. So. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll get to hear those specifics at one point, but Meg, thanks so much for taking the time to talk the South Africa game, the U S women's lawsuit, Ada Hegeberg, and good luck with, with all your women's soccer coverage for the athletic. Thank you. Yeah. Very excited and uh, kind of regretting that I have an 8 a.m. flight tomorrow morning to go to St. Louis, but going to be worth it. Jen Cooper with Jacqueline Mahoney from Sports Reference, which I know, Jacqueline, none of my listeners know what that is. So why don't you start with, one, who you are and what Sports Reference is and why someone like me would be so excited about it. Uh, thank you for, for having me on, too, Jen. It, it really is. I've been listening to your podcast for years now, and so it's, it's a great great honor to, to be asked to, to chat with you. Awesome. <laughs> So, uh, so Sports Reference is um, an online sports database. Um, so the purpose behind the website is really just to create the easiest and fastest and most complete sports statistics um, available to all people and users. Um, so we have um, data for baseball, basketball, American football, hockey, and then also uh, men's college basketball and, and college football. Um, and uh-huh. last year we added um, soccer uh, to our site uh, at, at sbref.com. And um, just a month ago, we actually released um, released women's stats on that site as well. So that's that's why I reached out, reached out to you and, and why I'm so excited to be talking about uh, what we're offering there now. So it's it's great to see you know, the last few years, how more and more sites like this are picking up women's soccer. Like to me, one of the greatest signs that women's soccer was growing in popularity was seeing its appearance, not only on stat sites like this that serve all sports, but also betting sites and illegal feed sites. Um, Because when, when I used to look for games and I couldn't even find them on quote unquote, mainstream illegal I was like, this is so wrong. I know other people want to see this. So, so, you know, when, um, the criminals and the geeks get involved, you know, you know that this sport is really growing, you know, the betters, the illegal feeds and the stats that's, that's to be like, Hey, the sports, the sports growing. And it's also, I mean, for me, satisfying as, as someone who's followed the previous leagues, WSA and, and WPS and you know they didn't last long enough to really get a foothold where someone would want to you know put up all that information it's great that we've got NWSL around long enough where you're like hey there's there's six plus seasons now of, of data to put up there so so how yeah. did you you individually get involved with mm-hmm. sports reference oh well um <laughs> 
so I guess um, I've always been a, a stat head, um, really into math in school, and then I went through like um, you know post post bachelor's programs, I a master's degree and, and a PhD, and so through those programs you get really good at stats. But I always just loved sports also. <laughs> and about three years ago, um, Sue Bird wrote a piece for the Players Tribune called Analyze This, and it talked about how there were just no stats in women's sports. And it makes it really difficult to have conversations like, who's the best player ever? Or who yeah. should this team draft if you, can't, if you don't have their stats? And so I literally, kind of like a, a flip, flip and a switch, um, <laughs> said, you know what, I'm going to support women's sports. And um, I just kind of opened my eyes to it and realized that there's this, like, awesome culture of people that just, like, are invested in and want to see these things succeed, not just because they love sports, but also because they realize that, like, this is where the good stories are. Like, these women are awesome and not in the, you know, traditional, like, you know, every woman athlete is a role model, you know, trope that we hear, but also just like right. the, the things that, that are happening here are just so much more deserving of a front page um, than a lot of the stories that get them. So I wanted to be a part of that. And so after working for the federal government for a couple of years, um, Sports Reference posted a position around the same time I was starting to think about maybe taking a, a dive into uh, sports analytics. And uh, yeah, it just kind of worked out. I guess sometimes you just got to be lucky. <laughs> well, and talk about uh, the decision. I mean, it had to have come, I would think, from from higher up that, hey, the Women's World Cup is coming up. We need to, to put all World Cup data and not just 2015, but all the way back to 1991, put that online completely, not just the games that like Wikipedia has been great. You know, I, I'll, I'll admit, even when we were doing research last summer, uh, you know, live during during the World Cup, if you need to look quickly, historically at just games, Wikipedia is great to just scan through tournament by tournament. But when you need to do that deep dive, there aren't many places to go. Yeah. And it's even harder when you want to compare stats across leagues. So like if I yes. wanted to see Sam Kerr's stats in the World Cup this year, but I also wanted to compare them to what she's done in the W League and the NWSL, like, good luck. That's, you know, 13 pages you have to have open to try to figure it out. Yeah, um, so, yeah. So that's, that's like, one of the things that, that our site does that I'm, I'm super jazzed about. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I guess going back to your, your question about how this happened, um, like I said, the, the soccer site that we have is – relatively new and a lot of the users we have to our sites um, have kind of come there through it if you build it they will come mentality like we have mm -hmm. these stats so people will find them um, but there isn't a huge stat head culture around soccer um, like there is around baseball or basketball even now and um, and so when we were talking about ways that we could raise awareness about the fact that we have these stats, I, you know, rose my hand and I was like, well, I know that the most watched soccer game in all of U.S. history was a women's game. And um, by a lot of measures, um, the women's teams are doing really, like, really well in terms of, of revenue and, and attendance and things like that. Um, and so... I think that that's probably worth an investment. And uh, yeah, and just after a couple of conversations, my boss 
um, agreed and said, you know what, I think we should we should invest in this and uh, kind of gave me the green light to reach out to people like you who have been doing this work for a long time and say like, hey, we really want to support the culture that already exists. We're not just here because we think the World Cup is going to do great things like all of those you know, websites that all of a sudden are covering women's soccer, even though they haven't for years. Right, right. And it's the kind of thing where it's not, soccer's not quite like baseball in terms of everything creates a stat, but there's still so much information, not just from individual games, but as you were mentioning, like across tournaments, across leagues, comparing players, uh, that, that there's no way to do that. Online, uh, similar to right now, if you Googled for a women's World Cup bracket, all all you would get would be tons of 2018 men's World Cup brackets. That you know, there's they're still not that 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 pocket yet. But I found that whenever I've put out that kind of information on my website or via Twitter, you know, people want that. I'll I'll make the interactive Excel sheet where you can plug in the scores and and it'll update the standings because. We know that markets out there, people that want more information about soccer, they might not be thinking, oh, I want stats, but they're getting into it. It's, it's the same as like, you know, you like a new band, you like a new TV show, you want more, more, more info. So, you know, whatever can be put out there, I think just, you know, keeps, keeps it all growing. And I've also found that a lot of people who start following soccer, whether it's men or women's as, as their entry point to soccer, that there's just enough difference with soccer since you have the whole club versus country thing that I, I get a lot of questions of like, wait a minute, why, you know, why is a tie okay in the world cup? It's like, well, it's only, <laughs> it's only in the group stage. And then, and how you figure out who advances of the third place teams and, you know, different leagues, you know, that we've got NWSL and, and the Australian league complement each other. So there's all these nuances that you don't have for American basketball, baseball, football, et cetera, where players just with their team or it's off season, there's not this other piece of it. Yeah. There's, there's so many nuances like that. And I think the more information that's out there, especially like what you guys are doing that, that more people can answer their own questions. Yeah. And I think that there's a, uh, like going back to what you were saying about the appetite, Thing. I just I think that you know soccer fans in the states are eager to show other like fans of other sports that yes. soccer is worthwhile um, to follow, and so just having a, a resource like this at your fingertips makes it so much easier. I mean, the number of times that I just want to know you know which national team this person plays for, um, and have being able to do that without needing my my laptop powered up um, is yeah is, you know. It's a, it's a nice luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's, it's, I remember there was an Instagram post, uh, maybe a couple months ago where they were, I think Chicago red stars were honoring Sam Kerr, that she was the all time leading scorer, not only in NWSL, but also in the Australian league. And it listed her, her total goals for both. And of course you have some of that ridiculous, misogynist this is stupid the, those numbers are so low that, that kind of thing but what i immediately thought was they, they probably do sound low because people don't realize that these leagues aren't that old you know that and 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 these these 
teams don't play a huge amount of games when you compare it to Premier League or something like that. So there wasn't a, a there wasn't a context necessarily that someone who didn't know soccer to compare it to. Not that I approved of just any of the backlash in general, but I understood that it's it's like <laughs> hey, if, if you said sixty goals, wow, that's amazing. It's like got to put it in context. That's sixty goals yeah. in in six seasons, basically two seasons which she barely played it's like that's it's an incredible scoring rate but yeah and I think that one of the things that having a real complete stat site like what you guys have done with sports reference you can put things more in context so it's not this isolated number of here's the one season that we put up stats for but here's here's the whole context yeah, and I know the next step for us is really to to go all the way back to the start of, especially the NWSL. Um, but then um, our website is available in um, five or six six languages total, so five plus English. Um, so um, that's uh, another thing that we're hoping to do is is to just really open up the doors for anybody who wants to get a feel for. Um, how these leagues are working internationally and and what the development has looked like over time. And um, I, don't, I just I feel like we really take for granted that that's something that people should be able to do and don't appreciate how much effort it takes in a space like women's soccer for journalists and for just casual fans to know that stuff. Um, and so, yeah. I know we're we're, we're spoiled. We're spoiled by these incredibly intricate broadcasts for other sports, especially like you look at the NFL draft, just like all the production that goes into that and this event that lasts just an incredible amount of time. But all the info they need is at their fingertips and they've probably got a whole pool of researchers there helping. And what I, I kept running into with NWSL is, you know, even if you had the time and energy and people to find something, the information wasn't always available. So, yeah. you know, any, 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 any effort to, to put more of that stuff out is great. And, you know, we have to give a shout out when you think about it to Wikipedia, that, that there's been all these people out there, um, you know, for even players, you know, playing in, the, in our pro leagues that never make the national team. Someone is setting up a page and at least hitting their college websites and grabbing some data and, you know, getting that info in there because, you know, at, at least you've got that to start with. But now, you know, with sports reference and other sites, we're, we're seeing more um, more data available. And, and that's, that's a big reason that I started working on my almanac uh, in 2016. I'm just like, I've been putting all this stuff together cumulatively. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this. I'm sure other people would be too, because you can't find it anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this past weekend um, with the, the national teams being out of um, for training, I just wanted to know what the starting 11 were for all of the, like all of the spots. I just, I just wanted to right. know like who to spot. And, you know, the only way for me to, to really do that was to go through like the, the, um, I don't know if they were on Wikipedia specifically. I decided to go through Twitter and look at the, the tweets of each of the, the teams and like scroll back to find them. Um, at the start yeah. Of but yeah, it's really been powered by this like self-generated, self-accumulated content scheme. Uh, to this point. Um, so yeah, uh, we were, we just released match reports 
today, um, so this week, um, and I was just uh, really jazzed because now you can go to, you know, the the match report for the North Carolina Courage versus Sky Blue game and scroll down and all of the players are there kind of mapped out on the field and it shows you who subbed in and when and who got yellow cards and and whatnot and just I don't know. I, I, I'm geeking out over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I know Wikipedia is almost never going to have, you know, the, the lineups and certainly not that that quickly. But I have noticed with Google that if I if I go, you know, if I'm thinking of one of last week's games and I go Utah, Chicago, 1-0, May 3rd, I just Google that. I don't even have to put in NWSL or Red Stars Royals the first thing it'll bring up will be like Google's own little bare bones report. And I've seen that more for national teams as well. It's like, this is great that it's aware that these games exist because we've all experienced uh, that that doesn't always happen. I mean, when I got a, a Amazon echo a few, few years ago, I was trying to train it. I kept, I kept asking it on a regular basis, you know, who is Allie Krieger? I do not have information on that. You know, who is Carly Lloyd? Who is Morgan Bryant? It was just because what I had heard was that it track it tracks the questions that it's getting asked. So, it, like it, it's that sending information to Amazon of you know what information that they should they should have. So yeah, I was like, fine. I'm just going to let this little machine know that it should have all the answers to, to these <laughs> questions. I. I don't know how, how true that is that like the things that we're actually searching for are making a difference, but I have a similar story where I handle a lot of the updates for the uh, basketball uh, sites that we have also. And um, I make sure that every time I look for something online, I include men's or women's in front of it, as opposed to just, you know, NCAA tournament or Duke basketball. Um, and so I secretly have this hope that Google's watching how I'm searching and realizing that maybe, maybe men shouldn't be the default. So I guess, I guess we're both yeah. trying to train AI. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Like I, I get frustrated sometimes searching for women's world cup that sometimes even that will bring up men's world cup stuff, you know, and, and I know, we don't have kind of a collective agreement on how to refer to things. I mean, separate from FIFA's, you know, they've trademarked all of this. So if FIFA's going to talk about the Women's World Cup, they're going to call it the Women's World Cup because it's got a little TM, you know. And I know that that there are a lot of fans that don't think they should have different names. But, hey, as long as we have those trademarks, FIFA's not going to call them differently. And yeah. yeah, and, like, I want the stats to be separate because – Hey, if you merge them together, a lot of people lose their history. So it's that kind of challenging thing that I that I think kind of flows into the the searching as well. It's like, no, I didn't want the men's data, you know. <laughs> um, and yeah, but at have- the same time, I've also noticed uh, like some of the Wikipedia pages, they're they're more specific. Like they will say like the most caps by a male player, you know, that they won't just say most caps by a player. Like they are, they're, they're getting it that it's like, there's, there are these both parts of it. Yeah. I was going to say we had a, um, a lot of conversations about how and when to have crossover between the men's and women's leagues and competitions that we cover. So for example, we had a big debate about um, whether or not we should add a flag to gender the players. 
so that you could search for men's or women's players. And what we decided was like, well, one, like, I, we don't need to be gendering anybody. Um, <laughs> so, but two, by not doing so, when you do, we have like a, a random page feature. And so mm -hmm. when you do the random page search, you're searching for a soccer player. You're not searching for a men's soccer player or a women's soccer player. And instead we put, um, you know, this league is a women's specific league. Um, and so that people can just be introduced to all of these great soccer players, regardless of their gender and see what type of league they play in. Um, we did have a conversation about whether or not to um, to make the league men's league because they, there's this whole um, you know notion that came out when Steph LeBay wrote that piece about her trying to compete um, in the the men's league in Canada, where like uh -huh. a lot of these men's leagues are not specifically men's leagues. Um, they're right. just top levels of right. competition. Um, but yeah, we ultimately decided that. Uh, that that was a little bit confusing for our users, so we just we just uh, did kind of the the de facto men's league um, in our system also. But yeah, we decided to keep all the players kind of sorted just as players, um, and that means a lot too for people who do research in this and and who really value um, female athletes to know that like there's there's not a filter that is filtering out the women on our page. They are have everything that the the men have on our page, and I think it's kind of like a subtle statement like we're here to support the game and not here to support specific narratives that are being told. Right. Like the way a lot of uh, sports pages are online for major newspapers still, well, it, it, where, you know, it will be like football, baseball, basketball, hockey, women, you know, or, you know, just after anything that's kind of afterthought. Right. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that's so. That, that, that's that's huge. So I wonder. Um, I just noticed this last week. Sam Johnson plays for the Utah Royals, and Rail Salt Lake has a guy named Sam Johnson too. How cool is that? <laughs> I did not realize that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it would be clear which one is which based on their club affiliation. But I was like, that's kind of funny, you know. <laughs> I mean yeah. that could happen. At, that could happen at, at Man City or Arsenal, since they have the exact same name and crest. You could have, you know, two Sam Johnsons. But it just, you know, as long as you've got the birthday and the height, you can you can always figure out who's who. So, so what other fun stat things do you guys have coming up related to women's soccer? I mean, obviously um, the game so day, the match reports are huge. Yeah, so that's huge. Um, we also do um, all of our sites get automatically updated the day after matches occur. So, um, so we'll have the data feed coming in uh, throughout the World Cup and throughout the season for the the nine leagues we cover. Um, and uh, so that's that's nice, especially for those of us who are um, who have been burned in the past by <laughs> um, by reports not being available um, via NWSL. Um, immediately after the, the matches are, are done, or at least not um, reports with, with the stats that we're looking for. So hopefully that'll be good. And then the other part that's really useful is, um, I mean, most of our sites were just built because fans were like, hey, I have all of these stats. I'd really love people to be able to use them. Here you go. Um, and so um, when there are errors, or when there is a question about whether or not we can expand coverage, like we are always open to working with people who use our sites. So 
Um, like if you're visiting our site and you notice that something just doesn't add up, you can send us a bug and either say, hey, I have this data to show that this is incorrect, or like this doesn't seem right, can you look into it? And like as we have time, we'll, we'll get around to them. But we've really based our reputation on being this type of responsive company. And so I think that that type of engagement um, around these stats also kind of is, is an interesting thing that's, I guess, here, not really on the horizon, but something that uh, soccer fans should get excited about. Yeah. Def- definitely there there's just so much opportunity there and it, it's it's uh, i mean those fans reaching out it, it's kind of like how i started where you know i'm collecting all this information i know other people want to have it how you know how can i how can i share it and it's just it's it's so cool to see that i mean it it is connected in a way to social media and wikipedia's growth and and really the the globalization of the game in terms of how easy it is now for us to follow games in other countries and, and how the rest of the world has been able to follow NWSL from the beginning because it was, you know, on YouTube and, and accessible, you know, with no, no geo blocking. So yeah, it's just an exciting thing. So last question for you, Jacqueline, um, what stats do you think will be the ones that you'll be following most during the Women's World Cup? Since you guys have just gotten all those World Cup player <laughs> bios and games up, is, is there anything that, that like caught your eye or, or you're going to be following during the World Cup? Oh, man. Uh, put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I guess I'm interested, um, and this might be also a, a, just a, a U.S. bias and, and trying to think about what Jill Ellis is doing with the team, but I'm really interested in like squad management. So uh, through the group stage and trying to um, see if there's any sort of strategy there in terms of um, like usage of different types of players. Um, so that's something that I'm, I'm definitely looking for and, and really excited about having the match reports kind of all in one, one place so that I can see those things and, and, evaluate um, how different teams in different positions um, relative like to the strength of their squad um, are doing squad management. So that's something that I'm, I'm looking at. Yeah. Having things all in one place and in a really comprehensive interactive way just changes how you can enjoy the game, you know, because we all know you're curious about, well, wait, last time they faced a situation who was in the lineup or how often have they subbed or all, all of those things. And the more information, the better. So I want to say thank you for, to you and to sports reference for putting in all that work and, and thanks for coming on the show today to to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me. And like I said, if anybody wants to come check out our stats, um, it's fdref.com. It's like, footballrest.com and um and uh yeah and if you want to reach out to me personally i'm not super active on twitter or whatnot but my handle is uh at j not jackie that's j-a-y underscore n-o-t underscore j-a-c-k-i-e um and you can feel free <laughs> to message me. uh yeah that's that's uh just because i'm a jacqueline who doesn't like going by Jackie. And so um, back when I made my Twitter handle, I like, I wanted to tell the world, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, and it, and it stuck with me. Uh, All right. The connections I've made there. 
Well, I hope I hope you get a lot of uh, uh, tweets after that with all kinds of like, <laughs> here's an error, here's an error, there's an error. <laughs> Please do. I, I like the more people visit the site, the more leverage we have to add coverage for women's sports so so please just like if if you're interested come check us out follow your favorite players do comparisons between you know what the u.s women's national team did this year or last year or if you're following a european league we have eight european leagues um also on the women's side so yeah all of those things thank you so much again for for letting me have some time to to, to geek out with you about that and, and tell everybody about them Right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First and foremost, the 2019 Women's World Cup starts in barely three weeks, kicking off June 7th with, of course, host country France playing the first game. More final rosters are being announced each week. Australia's roster just came out. Germany's roster just came out. Scotland about to come out. May already be announced by the time you hear this. The last day for teams to announce their final 23-player roster is May 24th. After that, they can replace a player due to injury as late as 24 hours before their first Women's World Cup game, but no replacements after that. Be sure to check out my Keeper Notes and Mixed Zone Twitter accounts for my pinned tweet showing Women's World Cup-related Google Sheet links. Um, you definitely want to check them out. One of them is a link to final rosters that have already been announced. And, of course, the U.S. women, their send-off series continues this Thursday, the 16th, as the team takes on New Zealand at 7 p.m. Central on ESPN2. And starting at 6 p.m. on ESPN2, you definitely want to be watching. There will be a special one-hour feature on the 99ers. And then Sunday, May 26th, yes, that's Memorial Day weekend, the U.S. women will play Mexico on ESPN before the team departs for France. Coverage for that game starts 10.30 a.m. Central. Yes, a.m. And, of course, if you're looking for USA gear, the online store at ussoccer.com has restocked and can also add official name sets to jerseys. You can also reach out to the stalker store I used to manage in Houston. Just email sales at soccerforall.com, and that is the number four, and tell them the keeper sent you. Soccer for All can embroider three stars on any USA jerseys that don't already have them, and they also have official USA tank tops, team jackets, and other fan gear. And last but certainly not least, (laughs) my NWSL Almanac, the Keeper Notes Almanac, the printed version has actually arrived. I have it in hand. It looks gorgeous. I'm so excited. So if you've pre-ordered it, it is being shipped while we speak. And if you want to buy one, check out keepernotes.com. You can purchase the printed version. It has all the stats for NWSL from 2013 to 2018 and pictures as well. So, so glad to finally be able to announce that that is ready and available for purchase. All right. That's it for this episode of the mix zone. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for sharing the Woso love. And thanks as always to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.